0: To Mars Messina Presents. Today is Saturday, October 30th, 2021. You'll want to hover close to your nearest neighbor for we're on the cusp of Mischief Night, Devil's Night, Halloween. For these beings, fall is ever the normal season The only weather. There be no choice beyond. Where do they come from? The dust. Where do they go? The grave. Does blood stir in their veins? No. The night wind. What ticks in their head? The worm. What speaks from their mouth? The toad. What sees from their eye? The snake. What hears with their ear? The abyss between the stars. They sift the human storm for souls, eat flesh for reason, fill tombs with sinners a frenzy forth. Such are the autumn people. Today's episode is the final resting place for our Pleasant Scream series. Episode 30 is a powwow around the bonfire, a blessing of the sheaves, a watching of the moon racing between spectral clouds listening to whispers among the falling leaves, and a telling of the tales of spirits who demand recognition and obeisance. Gird up your lines and gather your courage as we introduce a stately visitor into our hallowed company for a reading of the narrative poem, The Raven. and nothing more ah distinctly i remember it was in the bleak december and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor eagerly i wished the morrow vainly i had sought to borrow from my book surcease of sorrow sorrow for the lost lenore for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, to some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, Some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is, I was napping. No mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady perched above my chamber door. Perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched. And sat and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door with such a name as Nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word as if his soul in that one word he did outpour nothing farther than he uttered not a feather that he fluttered till i scarcely more than muttered other friends have flown before on the morrow he will leave me as my hopes have flown before then the bird said Nevermore. more startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken doubtless said i what it utters is its only stock in store caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never never more but the raven still beguiling meant in croaking never more this i sat engaged in guessing but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core this and more i sat divining with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated over but whose velvet-violet lining with the lamplight floating over she shall press. Ah, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed by an unseen censer, swung by seraphim, whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Rich, I cried, thy God hath lent thee. By these angels he hath sent thee. Respite, respite, and Nepenthe from my memories of Lenore. Quaff, O oh, quaff, this kind Nepenthe, and forget the lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil. Prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether temptest, tossed thee here ashore. Desolate, yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me, truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implored. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still of bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore. Tell this soul with sorrow laden if within the distant Eden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore Clasp a rare and radiant maiden, Whom the angels name Lenore? Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Be that our sign of parting, Bird or fiend, I shrieked upstarting. Get thee back into the tempest And the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token Of that lie thy soul hath spoken leave my loneliness unbroken, quit the bust above my door, take thy beak from out my heart, and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting, on the pallid bust of Pallas, just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeing of a demon's that is dreaming. And the lamplight over him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. It grows darker. The moon is now veiled, but shining through the ectoplasmic wisps of clouds. But our bonfire is roaring, so it is time for scary stories. Gather round, stay close. The witching hour is nigh. So let's begin by talking about the shadow people. Have you ever heard of the shadow people? Well, I've seen one or two in my lifetime. So to describe the shadow people, have you ever been reading or watching TV when suddenly in the periphery of your vision, you catch a glimpse of what appears to be a shadowy human-esque figure in the room with you? According to professional witch and psychic Renée Watt, shadow people are a bit of an enigma in the paranormal community. They are often thought of as ghosts or as a collection of negative energy. But as is true with most paranormal phenomena, there is no finite answer. According to Watt, Shadow people can appear in different forms and may even indicate that someone is under a psychic attack. Many paranormal experts also theorize that there may be a connection between shadow people and extraterrestrial life and that these beings could be otherworldly in origin or have a correlation with alleged alien abductions abduction experiences. Wikipedia defines shadow people as supernatural shadow-like humanoid figures that, according to believers, are seen flickering on walls and ceilings in the viewer's peripheral vision. And Joseph Offutt, author of Darkness Walks, colon, The Shadow People Among Us, commented that many shadow people encounters do seem to mirror ghost encounters and are the most common type of shadow person encounters, which are a blacker than night, human-shaped shadow that people see walking through their bedroom, hallway, living room, what have you. So I, Mars Messina, like I just mentioned, have had two experiences with shadow people, uh, the first encounter was me coming home from work, and it was about 10 p.m. and it was dark. Now my typically quasi-lively neighborhood um, was unusually desolate. I noticed that as soon as I got my, out of my car, and It was really dark, like I said. I guess maybe a lamplight was out, and there was, like, no moon, no stars. But I looked up and down the block, and no one was outside their house, and no one was even walking through. So I took my keys out, and I got up on my porch, and I'm standing there, like, fumbling through my keys, looking for the front door key. And I was facing my door. And it was then that I felt... Now, I didn't see this, but I felt a definitive shadow. Now, how did I know it was a shadow? I I knew it. I somehow knew and felt a shadow pass right behind me. I felt it coming and going, like kind of sweeping close to my back. And I swung around to look behind me. And again, nothing and no one outside with me. It was just me out there. But it was creepy enough that I quickly let myself in and I closed the door behind me. And almost immediately there was this frantic pounding on my door, like somebody insisting on getting in or getting my attention. And it sounded like there was more than one person banging on the door. And yet I knew that no one else was near my house. Now I carry a weapon at night, so I got my weapon at the ready and I just yanked the door open, like standing in a fighting stance, ready to punch someone if I needed to, but no one was there. And I looked up and down the block and it was still devoid of all, um, any type of conscious life. There were no people and there were no animals And now I'm really getting freaked out. So I go back inside and I said a quick prayer of protection. And then that was it. I was able to settle in for a peaceful evening. The next morning, um, as I'm getting up and moving around my neighborhood, I heard that there was a home invasion down the block just that previous night. And what time did that home invasion happen? 10 p.m. right when I had my shadow experience. Coincidence? Well, something was going on on that block that night for sure. And it wasn't the usual stuff. My second encounter, um, if you listen to my UFO story, you know that uh, my yoga studio where I teach yoga or taught yoga it was actually a rented uh catholic school so the just so you you get a visual of what's going on here so it's this little building and when you first walk in to your sides um are offices but then you're meet you're met immediately right in front of you with a big staircase going up and the staircase goes up to a mezzanine level And if you keep walking up and you go straight ahead, you're walking into like a little auditorium and there's a stage there, like a little proscenium theater. And, um, you know, and of course, a floor where audience members would sit. And it was in this space where I taught my yoga class. But if you went out into the peripheral wings of the mezzanine, you would be going into offices. And on the opposite wall, from where I taught my class. So if you're coming out of my class and you're about to go down the stairs, if you look straight ahead, on the far side of the mezzanine is a gigantic life-size crucifix. So this just gives you a visual, okay? So one night after class, um, I was always the last one out as people were leaving um, the yoga class when it was over. I was you know, going around and cleaning things up and then I would finally shut off the lights and then be the last one out. Well, this one night I was doing that, that whole closing scheme or regime and shutting off the lights while several of my students were gathered just talking right in front of the door that led to the staircase. And about four of these people, they were kind of grouped together and about four of them had their backs to me. So they're facing out toward the staircase and the giant crucifix. And the others were sort of facing me As I'm walking in their direction, I look out at the crucifix and I see these human-shaped black mists form in front of the crucifix and then zip very quickly into an office out on the side of the mezzanine. And I just blurted out, did anyone else see that? And I'm still walking toward the students at this point. Now, the ones with their backs to me who were facing the crucifix, they all pointed and started saying things like, yes, there were shadows and they were moving and they went into that office. And everyone who saw this, we were basically saying the same thing. And the people who were facing me had no idea what we were talking about. And it was weird. It wasn't scary. Like none of us were freaked out, but we had definitively had seen something paranormal So um, the Monsignor actually happened to live across the street. So I was like, you know what? I have to go across the street and tell him what we just saw. So I said, if a couple of you will come with me so this guy doesn't think I'm crazy, so we can tell him what we saw um, that might help the situation here. So we went across the street and told the Monsignor what we had seen, these shadow people in front of the crucifix and just kind of hanging out in the mezzanine level of this little school. And he immediately went over there with incense and holy water and he blessed the entire building. So that instance um, of shadow people, that's probably the one I tell the most because you could write off the first one as my imagination, even though I knew it wasn't. But this one, other people saw the exact same thing and described it in the exact same way. So I don't know how that's explained or written off, except for we saw what we saw. And I think I'll tell one more story here um, so you can get on with your Halloween. And this one, we're gonna go back to Mars's teenage years. So. I would go to church, and I was one of these kids, um, yeah, I'd go to church, but I was more interested in talking with my friends than in actual worshiping. Um, I guess that would be fair to say. And I was sitting in the back pew of the church with my friend, Lene. And um, so we would be sitting there, and we were mm, 15, 16, somewhere in there, I'm gonna say. And in the congregation, um, there was this family, it was an extended family, so um, it was parents and two sisters, and then the husbands and children of the two sisters, okay? Well, one of these sisters had a husband who had a roving eye, and at the time, this guy is probably about 35 years old. And he would, <laughs> he wasn't sitting with his family either. Like we'd be hanging out in the back pew of the church, kind of writing notes and talking. And this guy would sit next to us. And he had this habit of looking us straight in the eye and saying, Hey, you're sexy. He wouldn't use our names when he would see Lene or if he would see me, it was always, Hey, you sexy. So we thought it was kind of hysterically funny. Um, It was tragic for his family, and my mother did not appreciate this. She was like, don't sit with that guy. Don't talk to him. And I'm like, hey, we're sitting back there minding our own business. He's coming over to us. So I didn't know him really beyond that. I had heard rumors that he was, um, he biblically knew a few of the single women in the congregation. But it was all rumors. But... Um, Where there's smoke, there's fire, especially with this guy. And his in-laws did not appreciate him. Anyway, that was my teenage years. Fast forward. Um, I was well into my adulthood, and I was just shopping one day. And um, out of the blue, this dude comes to my mind. And this is someone who was very peripheral um, for a very few years in my life and just not at the forefront of my mind but he was all of a sudden there i could see his wavy dark hair and his twinkling blue eyes and the big smile and he's looking straight at me and he's saying hey a sexy and here i am i'm shopping i'm shopping i'm in the middle of an aisle and this guy i mean i saw him in my mind's eye but it was really strong so anyway as i'm i'm like wow that guy i thought of him in in years, why did he pop up in my mind? Well, um, as I was shopping, my mother calls me and I take the call and she said, and I'm gonna not use his real name to protect his family. So she says, hey, um, by any chance do you remember John Smith? And I'm like, mom, this is the weirdest thing. He just came into my mind. You know, and I saw him like he used to, you know how he used to call me sexy? And she's like, "Uh uh-huh. And I'm like, I just saw him really like intensely. He was like there in my mind's eye. And he said, well, he died this morning. And I'm like, what? And so apparently this guy, um, I think it was around Thanksgiving and he and his wife and their son had gone somewhere Uh, for Thanksgiving, and they went, um, he learned how to fly like one of those small craft airplanes. And so he flew them there and he was gonna fly back with them, but a storm hit and the family said, hey, why don't we delay this a day? And he's like insisting, no, I've got to get back home. um, And we have to go now. And so reluctantly his wife and son got into the plane with him And he freaking flew right into the storm and they crashed and everyone died. And it just happened that morning. And I'm like, of all people, man, you're going to come back and say goodbye to me? Okay, to round out our bonfire Halloween classic, I'm going to talk to you or discuss or otherwise warn you about crimes that could get you accused of being a witch. Now, in the next week or so, I'm going to talk about the Salem Witch Trials. So this is kind of gearing up not only for Halloween, but for that podcast. So what are some of the things that got people accused of being a witch? Number one, that you were a woman, period that you were a female, um, that you were a zygote that was born with or developed with ovaries. That could get you accused of being a witch. Specifically, if you were a woman who was too beautiful, if you were too outspoken, if you had too much water in your well, if you were too loud, if you were too quiet, if you had too much red in your hair. Women who had a strong connection to nature, women who danced, women who sang. Any woman was at risk of being burned or being hung from the gallows in the 1600s. Sisters testified and turned on each other when their babies were being held under ice children were tortured to confess their experiences with witches by being fake executed in ovens women were held under water and if they could float they were guilty and executed if they sank and drowned they were innocent Women were also thrown off cliffs or put into deep holes in the ground. Another reason that you could be accused of witchcraft, which back in the day was punishable by death. Uh, If you were poor and could not support yourself financially. Um, If you were rich and financially independent, so... Um, Any indication that a woman could live without the help or supervision of a man, that raised alarm. Between 1620 and 1725, women without brothers or sons to share their inheritance comprised 89% of the women executed for witchcraft in New England. If you have one or more female friends, uh, that could get you accused. So a group of women congregating without a male chaperone was deemed a coven meeting to worship the devil. If you had an argument with one or more of your female friends, that could get you accused. If you had an argument or a disagreement with anyone, if you were old, or if you were very young. Dorothy Good was only four years old when she confessed to being a witch. Simultaneously, she implicated her mother, Sarah, and Sarah was hanged in 1692. Dorothy was imprisoned for nine months before her release, and that experience left her permanently insane. If you were a healer, so a woman who was too skilled with Herbal medicine, they were looked at sideways. If a woman had that kind of power where she could give you some sort of medicine and you felt better, well that must be power of the devil. If you were married with too few or no children, what that meant was that the devil cursed your unholy womb with infertility. Plus, if your neighbors and their six children were suffering in any way, They almost certainly believed that the jealous crone living next door to them had hexed their home. If your neighbors were having trouble conceiving, um, you were almost certainly stealing their would-be babies away from them because you were a witch. If you had ever exhibited um, stubborn, strange, or forward behavior, witch. If you had a mole, a birthmark, or a third nipple, any of those found on your body could be interpreted as a devil's mark. This is also where the witch is familiar, and a familiar is usually an animal like a dog, cat, or snake. That's where the familiar would attach itself to the witch to drink her blood. And the accused were completely rid of their body hair until some type of marking was found. Yeah, like that wasn't creepy or evil. To not only strip a woman naked, but then shave her. Yeah, that wasn't kinky at all. If you had sex out of wedlock, you were certainly a witch. One of the victims at Salem, um, and we will be talking about her, Martha Corey, um, who, in her youth, had an illegitimate, illegitimate, and likely mixed race son. She'd eventually marry twice. The second time to Giles Corey, who himself was noted at a, as a scandalous person in his former time. If you have pre, I'm sorry. If you had attempted to predict the identity of your future husband, that could get you in hot trouble. For um, a long time, it was thought that the black slave Tituba of Salem, she encouraged young girls to predict predict the identities of their future husbands. She became one of the first women in Salem accused of practicing witchcraft. If you had broken virtually any rule in the Bible and thus entered into a pact with the devil, The Puritans strictly observed the Sabbath, which meant no kindling of fire, no trading, no traveling. You couldn't commit adultery. You couldn't lead people to other gods by prophecy or dreams. You couldn't lie. You couldn't be gluttonous. You couldn't be idle or miss church. And you better not have long hair because they were not going to allow a witch to live. Well, sacred souls, I am apparently a candidate for being guilty of practicing witchcraft. And I assume so are you. Takes one to know one, right? We are hellbound and will likely be hanged, burned, or left to rot. In a filthy prison until we die and the dark shadows will cloak us in their wretched eternal embrace but there's always next week we will be back to our regular programming in november if we survive these next two nights and make it to november I bid you a happy Halloween and a Buena Note.